0: Laverne and Shirley
1: won't be seen tonight so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X-Files.
0: When they drew first blood That's just the start of it Day and night You gotta fight To keep alive It's a real war Right outside your front door, I tell ya. Uh-uh! Ah, ooh! This is the road is
1: long. Road is long, yeah! Each step is only the beginning. No breaks, just heartaches. Oh, man, is anybody winning?
0: Oh, my God. You no, f- nobody's winning. You f-
1: it's f- a losing <laughs> war. <laughs> Welcome to the Gen X-Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about First Blood.
0: First Blood. <laughs> Not me. I <laughs> First Blood. Curdle. Curdle.
1: Um,
2: I, I, I gotta be honest, I this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. Surprise. I, I am too, because I'm pretty sure it was just a little too early when I was growing up, and, uh, and I think I saw 2 and 3. I think 3 is the first one I saw. And it was so ridiculous that yeah. I was like, there's no way that I'm ever going to watch these.
1: First Blood is my favorite Sylvester Stallone film I, of all of his films. I, after watching it, I would agree. It is such a good movie. It is so well done. It's so funny how much he hated this movie. Yeah. And that he wanted to buy it up. Burn, and burn it. it.
0: Buy it and burn the prince. It so bad.
1: But then he was like... Yeah, no, I just cut out all my crappy dialogue, and make the quiet, yeah. and then it's a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, that is really self-aware though. I mean, yeah. You hear him talk about this movie, it's it's very interesting because I'm not the only one who loves this movie so much. Right, right. And it is it's just so funny. This whole month is the beginnings yeah. of these yeah. huge franchises that have lasted for decades. Yeah. And it's just really funny how small these movies are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is such a cool self-contained story about it's one of the first movies, mainstream, like big blockbuster yeah. movies. Yeah. To deal with the whole PTSD and the the all of the consequences of these guys coming home from Vietnam and being... Yeah chastised demonized demonized like it's like i just went to go fight they you told know, me to go fight so i did and now i come back and you hate me no parades no nothing yeah. these guys you know they just got they got it bad and yeah. real bad and this was you know it gets a little crazy <laughs> but even all of this stuff that happens it's totally believable yeah yeah you know this guy is a special forces super soldier he's a green beret he was trained for this he was trained to kill <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he was, but it's, all of it is believable. The character, there's one character who's kind of cartoon villainy, but he dies at the beginning, luckily. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to shave you up,
0: boy. God, he has I'm got you
1: the roundest potbelly. Oh ever yeah. Seen. And the greatest
2: like hillbilly voice ever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He going to get you, Rainbow. Yeah. Hold him steady. Hold him I steady.
2: I got to be honest, I'm really glad they didn't turn Teasel into that because it, it very much could have, you know, I mean, he he could have cuz they definitely from the source material they definitely dumbed Teasel down a lot or I shouldn't say that. They didn't dumb him down. They just simplified him a lot. Yeah. Um he's not as complicated as he is in the book, but but they easily could have made him that stereotype that was Galt who had the big pot yeah. belly and was just an ass. But
0: Galt, and I hate everybody.
1: Yeah. Um but no, it in any other movie, if this movie was made 10 years earlier, Teasel would have been the hero and Rambo yeah. would have been the villain. Yeah. And I'm sure in today's world, some people probably watch it now and see Teasel as the hero I, and Rambo as the villain. It could
2: have been made five years later and Teasel would have been the hero and yeah. Rambo would have been the villain. Absolutely I mean, right. The rah-rah reagan Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, just look how much Rambo changed. He went from being this PTSD- Anti-hero who lost all of his friends. He's the only one left of his elite yeah. team. Yeah. There's nothing for him in this world except for uh, being scorned and right, ridiculed right. and 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 so he's just such a complicated character. And then he just turns into this cartoon superhero <laughs> with his super duper arrow pack with like yeah. blow ups, <laughs> and he's blowing up helicopters. He basically, it went from such a great, small, amazing movie, and it just in- incrementally got weirder. Listen to our uh, we did Rambo: yeah, two two, yeah, First Blood part two, which yeah. is basically they're like, all right, let's just um it, we'll, we'll win the Vietnam War. We'll it win was, it this time. It,
2: it was it, Rambo First Blood Part Two was a very similar movie, "The First Two Acts, to First Blood. And then you can literally see the change, (laughs) where it's like,
1: nope. Where it's wish fulfillment. You're a killing machine. It's basically, we sent Rambo in to right the wrongs of losing Vietnam. He went in one wrecking crew army, beat the Vietnamese, brought our boys home, and now, you know, now we won. Even worse than that is Rambo 3, where he had no reason to To be
0: be
2: going in Afghanistan. Well, I mean, not no reason. I mean, he had to go save Richard Crenna. But... The fact is, is that it literally was like the whole first movie was about getting over the fact that you were a killing
1: machine. Just kidding. (laughs) Well, yes, and it's just in each subsequent movie, the body counts get bigger and bigger and bigger until we're at the point... In one of the last ones, where he's just sitting in a with an M yeah, sixty in the back of a truck, just blowing literally blowing people to pieces for twenty oh, minutes. Just the amount of gore in that movie is phenomenal. All of these movies, whether it's Alien, Terminator, or First Blood, it's yeah. fun to see where they go. Oh yeah, yeah. Alien is the most creative to me because it, it they have so many good directors. Yeah. Taking on the franchise. They're not all great movies by any stretch. Very very flawed, sure. But they're all very interesting, and I love each and every one of them for yeah. different reasons. Yeah. I... Really, only like First Blood, <laughs> honestly. It's
2: really funny because the Rambo 3 uh, is at the time when it was made. The first movie, this first movie had a, a budget of like $10 million, $11 yeah. million dollars maybe. Rambo 3 had a budget of almost $68 million. Yeah. At the time, it was the highest budget for a movie ever. Wow. Uh, it did it not so quaint now. Did not did, I know? D- yes, d- I, I know. Budget. But it's just that's just how ridiculous the franchise got as it got as it went on.
1: Well, it did, and it was just it got bigger and bigger and sillier and sillier and more political and. Well, and he
2: tried with Rambo, the one that came out in two thousand eight, yeah. and then and then. Last Blood he tried to make him like smaller again but Yeah, but they still But it's it's still, just, it still it didn't matter.
1: The character was ruined. He honestly. was yeah. He yeah. was it was a character it was a an, um, it's his most interesting character that he's ever played. And <laughs> <laughs> he, The character was corrupted and co-opted by the Ra rah Reagan 80s. Yeah. yeah, It turned his most interesting character into his most cartoonish. It's it's interesting how his character arc is just a full circle. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not even it an is. arc. It's just like, oh, oh, every movie after First Blood just negates all of his character work. Honestly. Honestly. Krenna should have blown his brains out at the end of I... Yes, yeah. it's like that's how it happens uh, in the book. Spoiler
2: right? alert, yeah. but yes, that's literally how it happens in the book. Yeah, it, and that, it's and technically, and we'll get into this, but technically they did shoot it that way. Yeah. Uh but people were like, I can't deal
0: with the. But dying. it also
2: also the fact that to me it made sense because by the end of this movie, if he had killed him, because he, he doesn't technically kill anybody in the movie. Like there's, there's some off-screen stuff, but like it's never on purpose. Right. In the book, oh my god, he is a Massive killing machine Yeah (laughs) Hundreds of people He ends up killing And it makes sense For like the only way To stop you Is for you to die
0: That's
1: the point He's like Who could have killed you Who could have killed you But I didn't And They're definitely Trying to kill him I think a few people died I mean technically Galt is his fault
2: Because he did throw A rock at the helicopter And he fell out Although Galt took off his safety belt So it's not totally And got those guys In the car They probably didn't make it. No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Blow up in (laughs) the... They uh, did make it. They're not living a good life. (laughs) He's got no legs! (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just such a great movie, and you forget how good of a movie First Blood is because it gets mired by all of... Unfortunately, like many of these movie stars of the day, they become caricatures, parodies of themselves, self-parody, whatever you want to call it. Even... Even amazing actors like uh, Robert De Niro has become basically self-parodying. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just how it goes. But it's this is why I love this month is because by like like last week Alien, mm-hmm. such an amazing, grounded, awesome, realistic yeah. film. Like I could totally believe that being true. Same with this. And you know, same coming up with uh, Terminator. Terminator, yeah. you yeah. know, it's a very small contained film. Yeah, and and it's the brilliance of these guys, kind of early in their career. You know, he, he was he was a movie star. Rocky, yeah. made oh him yeah, a star. oh yeah, oh yeah. But he wasn't the star that he was after Ramp, after First Blood. Oh no, 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 no. And, and also but, but he also because of that competition like he pushes himself so hard
2: in this yeah. movie. I mean he got injured so many times during this movie. It's all on screen though. But he didn't need
1: to be. Right, I mean he right. did, he didn't need to be. No, he didn't, but it works. I mean Oh no, it does. It definitely, yeah. Everything in this movie works. Like none of it to me is over the top cartoonish silly. No, it's real. Yeah I-, yeah. I could see this happening.
2: I just love the end The end with the beginning of the third act Where he's just suddenly like Alright, i up the town This is it, I'm going to blow up the town <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Alright, town If I could have a sandwich we could have a sandwich Alright, we'll That's, take it let's, into let's it Let's do it Take yourself back 1982 Nice Wasn't that the year the Walkman came out? Uh Yeah, I think it was actually nice. yeah. During the year, the federal government funds a Quote-unquote police services study In which over 12,000 randomly selected civilians Are interviewed in three metropolitan areas The study found that 13.6% of those surveyed Claimed to have had cause to complain about police service Including verbal abuse, discourtesy, and physical abuse In the previous year Yet only 30% of
1: those filed formal complaints I have one of those I, Can I tell a quick story? Sure. It's really quick Yeah uh, so, I when I was, it was around this time too, probably maybe a couple years later. You were around was, 13, 14? I was about 16. Oh, I think. 16? Okay. Um, and so, you know, mid-AIDS. Yeah. 80s. Sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I was in the <laughs> mid-AIDS. Uh, <ooh. laughs> very different meaning in the yes. 80s. Yes. <laughs> very different. Remember AIDS? Uh, yeah. the, my mom had these dietary supplements oh. called AIDS. <laughs> and And when AIDS first started, there are these little chocolates, and it was like lose weight with AIDS. Oh God! And I was like, oh boy. Right. They had to change. That company didn't last very much <laughs> long after that. But so I was at home, and uh and our security went off, mm-hmm. and I was getting ready to take a shower, and I hear the dogs start barking, barking downstairs. So I'm, I wrap myself in a towel, and I come bounding down the stairs. I'm like, quiet, quiet, quiet. And I come around the corner, and there is a sheriff's deputy inside oh, of our house Oh wow! with his gun drawn pointed oh, God. right at me. Oh, God. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, ah, okay. So the alarm went off. You know, I live here. Uh, I guess I didn't call the people fast enough or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh, freeze! I'm like, okay. <laughs> and uh, and so he's like, who are you? I'm like, well, I live here. I live here. This is, you know, my, my house. My house. <laughs> and... Uh, and, uh, it's like I'm not, not robbing the place in a towel. Where's well, this my ID? I'm like, well, I'm in a towel. Um, well, you get up there and you get yourself some ID. So, first of all, if I'm a criminal, what? he's going to let me go <laughs> by myself, right? So, I go upstairs, I throw throwing some jeans and a t shirt, and and I can't find my license. I find my library card. Okay. And I was like, well, I can't find my license. Here's my library card. He's like, well, that's not good enough. And uh, And so. I, I'm starting to get... I was a bit of a smartass. I don't know if you... No, surprised really? surprised back then, and I didn't deal well with authority. And so I'm like, dude, look, there's pictures of me everywhere. <laughs> Either I am the most amazing thief that ever came down the pike, and I have... Peppered this place with pictures <laughs> of me in my in my crazy scheme to ju- <laughs> steal everything just in case the cops showed up. <laughs> so he's like, I believe you, but you have an attitude problem. You have your parents call me. I'm like, okay, whatever, officer douche. And then so he leaves, and he calls my parents that night. and He's like, your son has an attitude problem. And I had told them what happened. And, yeah. they're, and they full on stood up for me and were like doesn't have an attitude problem. A, you shouldn't have been in our house. Yeah. B with your and he didn't it's take the gun he wrong. didn't take the gun off me too until he had it out as I went and changed and I came back and and I was finally like you could put the the gun down, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm obviously not a threat. And that's when I was like, the pictures and everything Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, how did, you easily could have gone
2: upstairs and gotten your own
1: gun. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it just it, shows that he was just being an a-hole. He just this is the hungry, Escondido yeah. police force back yeah. then in the 80s. I mean, maybe they're the greatest force in the world now. I don't know. But back I, in the 80s, they're, the, yeah. they were all the ex-football dumbass jocks who couldn't get into college and, and so they were became rejected by the army, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and then and by real police forces. So they became the Escondido Sheriff's Department or police department, and they were just a bunch of a hole bullies, the worst. Uh, that was that was true
2: everywhere. Unfortunately, a lot of the small town cops, smaller town cops, were were just failed uh, military people or failed athletes that didn't know what to do with all their aggression.
1: So they would to lord it over everybody. It's good things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of great police officers out oh, there. Oh no, and no, I, no! There are. I've also had some really good interactions with the cops, but oh, same. But same. this was uh, this this was one of a few times I've had a gun pulled uh, on me by the cops. At least this one didn't shoot at me. That's good. Uh,
2: March twenty sixth, ground is broken for the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington D.C. It would be dedicated on November thirteenth as part of a five day ceremony called the National Salute to Vietnam Veterans.
1: Yeah, they were starting to get their due in the 80s people were starting to realize how horribly they treated them and and what these guys went through the vietnam war was unlike any other war that we had fought they didn't know who the bad guys were they weren't wearing uniforms they weren't we wouldn't we're supposed to be there in the first place it was just It was a a bad war all around everything about it was wrong yeah and these poor guys caught in the middle poor men and women that were caught in the middle these veterans. And who were blamed for just being forced because yeah. of the draft yeah. to be in this unwinnable war. Yeah, it was a big mistake from the very beginning. We still have not completely reckoned with that no, in our society. No. We still... No. Uh, yeah, and
2: it's, it's, it's actually kind of ironic because there were a bunch of people that protested the Vietnam War Memorial. Oh yeah! yeah, Oh yeah! They they did not think that it was appropriate what they were doing. I have actually been to the Vietnam War Memorial, and it is one of the most somber, amazing places. It really is. It really gives you an idea of just how big
1: and pointless this war was. Yeah, yeah. It it it's war is always horrible. Yeah. Sometimes necessary. Yeah. World War Two necessary. Yeah. Yeah. But. Vietnam is not necessary.
2: No, no. It was ridiculous.
1: July 23rd, during filming of a segment of
2: Twilight Zone, the movie where actor Vic Morrow is transported back to the Vietnam War, Morrow and two child actors die in a helico- helicopter stunt accident.
1: So is Vic Morrow on the Vietnam War Memorial then? No. no. They're not for pretend. No, or... no,
2: not for pretend people. Okay. October twenty second, First Blood premieres in North America. <laughs> that was awful too.
1: Fitmore was a great actor. <laughs> Even those poor children. Yeah, that was
2: a horrible. Incident. It was a. That was also a very pointless accident that yes. should have happened.
1: Yes, yeah. looking at you, Landis
2: John Landis. So First Blood started as a nineteen seventy-two American action thriller novel by David Morrell about a troubled homeless Vietnam War veteran known only by his last name of Rambo, who wages a brutal one-man war against local and state police in Kentucky. Nice. First Blood was the first novel he ever had published. Since then, he has written 28 novels, and his work has been translated into 30 languages. Cool. You know, I've never really heard of him. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because I haven't finished it yet, but I'm in the middle of reading First Blood, and it's written really well. Nice. Like, it's really interesting.
1: I'm very curious to read it.
2: Uh, Morrill began work as an English professor at the University of Iowa in 1970. Morrill stated he was inspired to
1: write the novel by hearing about the experiences of his students who had fought in Vietnam. Morrell said, When I started First Blood back in 1968, I was deeply influenced by Jeffrey Household's Rogue Mail. A thriller novel released in 1939. Have you read that? No, I have not. But I need to.
2: I, I have not gotten it from the library yet. Nice. <laughs> the character's name was derived in part from the Rambo Apple, a supply of which his wife brought home while he was trying to come up with a suitable name for his character.
1: Come on, honey, get those things away from me. I'm trying to come up with a name for my character. What are those anyway? Apples?
2: Rambo apples? She she literally brought them home and was like, I've never heard of these Oh, I like them apples (laughs) Them Rambo apples Uh, One of the inspirations for Rambo was World War II hero Audie Murphy In particular, his suffering from untreated post-traumatic stress disorder in his post-war years Which they didn't have any idea what that was No, no, not at that time, no John Scow of Time described the book as carnography Though he remarked that the technical aspects of it are done well Because it's carnage Uh, It is, really, honestly He kills so many people in the book. <laughs> yeah. He had something going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the book, Rambo kills lots and lots and lots of cops and National Guardsmen in increasingly horrific ways. Uh, Cuban-Italian actor Thomas Million f- read First Blood soon after its release and wanted to star in an adaptation of it. However, he was unsuccessful in persuading Italian producers to support the project. Here, well, I got a recording of it. Hold on. Okay.
1: Hey, you got to make it a movie, eh? I want a bit of the Rambo. I want a bit of the Rambo. Hey, pizza pie.
2: <laughs> wow. Ah, <laughs> wow. He sounded kind of stereotypical, no, but that's just really? who he was. Yeah. Really? Uh, still, he used Rambo's name of his character, an ex-cop in the 1975 film Syndicate Sadists. Hey, got to use the name, eh? Yeah, ah. the that a Rambo. In nineteen seventy two, Lawrence Terman at Columbia Pictures bought the film rights to first blood for one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. That's
1: not cheap back in seventies. No, that
2: was that's a good hefty payday for David Morrell. Yeah. Terman was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture as producer of The Graduate in nineteen sixty seven. Uh, I think you're trying to disclose me, Adam. <laughs> also, no, I'm not. <laughs> he also produced other films such as Pretty Poison in 1968, The Great White Hope in 1970, and would go on to produce The Thing in 1982. Nice. Short Circuit in 1986. Nice. The River Wild in 1994. Nice. And American History X in 1998. Okay, nice. All good movies. Long, uh, long career.
1: And and yeah, and he had a, he had a tendency to back. Pretty good projects. The River Wild, I think that was the one with uh, Meryl Streep and uh, Footloose. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I think you're right. I think and you're right. They're, yeah, they're like going down the river, and then Kevin Bacon's a bad guy, and Meryl Streep's got to protect a kid. Yeah, actually, yeah, I think you're right. They made a remake of it just recently. Oh, nobody watched. <laughs>
2: Richard Brooks was slated to direct this version He was nominated for eight Oscars in his career He was best known for Blackboard Jungle in 1955 Great movie Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in 1958 Great play, didn't see the movie uh, Elmer Gantry in 1960 Which he won the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay Another great film In Cold Blood in 1967 Awesome, Truman Capote Uh, Phenomenal movie. Yeah. And Looking for Mr. Goodbar in 1977. Yeah, with uh, Barbara Hershey. No. Looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) Brooks intended to have the film be an allegory on differing American perceptions of World War II and Vietnam War veterans, with Sheriff Teasel portrayed more sympathetically than in the novel. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's it's interesting, because in the novel, he is a Korean War veteran, and that's part of the reason that he's kind of pissed off at rambo yeah the korean war is considered to be the quote-unquote forgotten war because they weren't treated as well as the world war ii veterans well
1: because we didn't win that
2: one either no i mean there was was also no reason for us to be there technically it was a quote-unquote draw yeah yeah uh anyway the film would have ended with teasel ordering his men to drop their guns to try to reason with rambo who would have then been fatally shot by an unknown assailant brooks planned to start shooting first blood in new mexico in december of 1972 The film did not proceed because the Vietnam War was still underway, and Brooks left the project. Wow. Yeah. It went on until 75. Yeah. yeah. Afterward, John Calley purchased the rights at Warner Brothers Pictures for $125,000 with the thought of casting either Robert De Niro or Clint Eastwood as Rambo. Both great. Yeah. Callie was quite influential during his years
1: at Warner Brothers, where he worked from 68 to 81 and... Produced a film a month, on average, including commercial successes like The Exorcist and Superman. A screenplay
2: was written by Walter Newman, with Martin Ritt intended to direct. Newman was nominated three times for Academy Awards, Ace in the Hole in 1951, Cat Ballou in 1965, and Blood Brothers in 1978. Cat is great have not seen any of those, but he is best known for a work that never made it to the screen, his unproduced original script, *Harrow Alley, which has achieved legendary status in Hollywood. He also did uncredited rewrites on The Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape. Uh, Ritt, Martin Ritt, directed The Long Hot Summer in 1958, The Black Orchid in 1958, Paris Blues in 61, Hemingway's Adventures of a Young Man in 1962, HUD in 1963, The Spy Who Came in from the Cold in 65. Hombre in 1967, The Great White Hope in 70, and Sounder 1972. A lot of those are Paul Newman flicks. Yes, he would. was nominated for Best Director for Hud in 63, which was a Paul. I think this was the first Paul Newman movie I ever saw. Yeah, it was Hud. Hud. Yeah. Uh, the film would have criticized American military culture and portrayed C- Colonel Troutman as the film's villain, ending with both Ramble, Rambo and Teasel dying. I like Ramble. Ramble. I <laughs> I named him Ramble. <laughs> Sidney Pollock and Martin Bregman also considered directing the film. I love Sidney Pollack. Oh, yeah, he's great. Pollack was nominated for Best Director uh, at the Oscars for They Shoot Horses, don't they, in 1969? They do, Adam. Uh, They do shoot horses, especially when you're dancing for a long, long time. Uh, Bregman was best known as a producer, having produced Superco in 1973 and Dog Day Afternoon in 75. Couple of great Pacinos. Yeah, both fantastic movies. Bregman hired David Rabe to write the script. At the time, Rabe was a playwright, having won the Tony Award for Best Play in 1972 for Sticks and Bones and receiving a Tony Award nomination for Best Play in 74 for In the Boom Boom Room.
0: Yeah, In the Boom Boom Room.
2: <laughs> Bregman showed rabe screenplay to Al Pacino, hoping that he would play Rambo, but Pacino found the content to be too dark. Okay. Really? You did cruising. <laughs> and this is too dark? ooh uh, I, it, I'm it, coming for you! You get it, it. The the book and the scripts, i mean, I'm assuming the scripts because they're probably more close to the book, I, they... It's complicated, yeah. because you've got to support this veteran who's murdering a bunch of cops, but you've got to support the cops, so, like, what do you do? I
1: just see little Al Pacino with a <laughs> little the, headband in on? In the woods. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hoo They drew first blood. Nommy.
0: <laughs> Nummy <me>! After Bra- <laughs> After Bregman...
2: That was really good. After Bregman departed, Mike Nichols considered directing Rabe- Rabe's script. Nichols departed, sorry, Nichols directed his first film, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, in 1966, followed by The Graduate in 1967, for which Nichols won the Academy Award for Best
1: Director. Mike Nichols is so, he's such an amazing dude. Yeah. Because he started out as a comedy team with his wife, Elaine May. Oh, yeah, yeah. And went on from there to direct some of the greatest films in cinema history. The guy is just, he was, and, and, and... By all accounts, just a really great guy. Yeah, yeah. I've heard very, very good things. Uh, He also directed Catch-22 in 1970,
2: Carnal Knowledge in 71, and The Day of the Dolphin in 1973. I don't remember
1: The Day of the Dolphin, but Catch-22 is a great—one of the greatest book adaptations. That's Joseph Heller, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such a great adaptation. And that is not an easy book to adapt. No, no, none at all. And, uh, uh— Nichols did a great job with it, and the fellow that just died, who starred in it, uh, Alan Arkin, Arkin. Yeah. and Alan Arkin was remarkable yeah. in this film. So good, uh, so good, and uh, Carnal Knowledge is such a great movie with Jack Jack Nicholson. No, oh, yeah, and that's yeah. got the the uh, you know the, the he wants the toast, <laughs> no, she won't give him the toast. He's like, get I have a chicken sandwich, <laughs> hold the chicken. Hold the mayo, hold the lettuce. I didn't know that was from
2: that movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. I've heard that quote so many times. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's funny. Uh, William Sackheim and Michael Kozel wrote the screenplay that would be the basis of the final film in 1977, with John Batham du- attached to direct. Good director. Uh, William Sackheim was a producer and writer, mostly known for the Flying Nun and Gidget TV shows. Yeah, a couple of shows starring Sally Field. Yeah, and, and definitely the first person I would think of to write <laughs> an I adaptation know. of First Blood. It's really
1: well. The Gidget was pretty. Uh, you know, Gidget was pretty. On the beach, you know, kind of. Yeah, dancing. But dance. the flying nun got into some shit. <laughs> <laughs> some serious shit.
2: <laughs> Kozel is best known for creating the police procedural television series *Hill Street Blues*, along with Stephen
1: Bochco. Great, groundbreaking police procedural because it just it it was more about the cops than the crimes. Right, right. And a, a really well rounded cast, and it it the whole it always started out with uh, you now one guy telling them all what to do, and then. Y'all be careful out there. (laughs) He won two Primetime Emmy
2: Awards and was nominated for two more in the category Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series for his work on Hill Street Blues. In 1981, he won an Emmy for Outstanding Drama Series. Yeah, that show was a juggernaut. Yeah. At this point, John Badham had directed the bingo long-traveling all-stars and Motor Kings in 1976. Movie that we always uh, comment on how long the title is. Mentioned many times. Great (laughs) movie, too, by the way. And he also did Saturday Night Fever in 77, which was a huge hit. I want to dance. I'm going to be dancer, Dad. I'm going to be a dancer. Producer Carter DeHaven purchased Sackheim and Kozal's script from Warner Brothers for $375,000. Just keeps going up and up. Oh, just wait. <laughs> DeHaven secured the cinema group as a financier and hired John Frankenheimer as director with production to begin in Georgia. Great choice. Yeah. Frankenheimer had directed Birdman of Alcatraz in 62, The Maturian Candidate in 62, Fantastic movie. Yeah, Seven Days in May in 64, The Train in 64, Seconds in 1966, Grand Prix in 66, The French Connection 2 in 1975, and Black Sunday in
0: 1977. Black
2: Sunday. This was the first version of the script in which Rambo survived the film. Ew. <laughs> However, the project stalled again after the distributor Filmways was acquired by Orion Pictures. Dread. Yeah. <laughs> After Mario Cassar and Andrew Givanya of Anabasis Investments read the book, they got interested in doing an adaptation as the first production of their studio, Carolco Pictures, funded by... In-house sources. They purchased the film rights from Warner Brothers for $375,000 and Sackheim and Kolzo's script for $125,000 in 1981.
1: Carolco, man, they did a lot. Carolco and... Oh, what was the other one? Cannon. Canon, yeah. Did a lot of of crap. All of the really weird or bad movies made in the 80s were Carol Coe or Canon. Yeah, Cannon Canon yeah. was big with, uh, oh, what's that guy? The Beardo... The one that's always chasing Stallone, who we always make fun of. Chuck North. Chuck North. Yeah. Chuck North with a canon guy. Both of them were uh, from essentially
2: foreign investors mm-hmm. that that started these companies. But I, I remember Canon and Carol Co. before
1: every movie in the oh, 80s. Yeah. Like, it was Of course, huge. any action B movie yeah. starring anybody who was, was not Sylvester Stallone <laughs> was probably a canon <laughs> film. And they, all of them had some sort of Vietnam undertone or something. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, uh, yeah, because... Uh, Chuck North went after the Vietnam vets in his movie. Yeah.
2: Chuck North claims, I didn't put this in the script, but he claims that he was offered the part of Rambo. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so Ted Kotcheff, who had been involved in the project in 1976, returned after Kassar and Vanya offered to finance one of his projects. Nice. Kotcheff was a Canadian TV director who had gone to England and direct British television. All right. In Hollywood, he directed Fun with Dick and Jane in 1977, which was a big hit. Yeah, that was a fun kind of subversive comedy. He followed it with the comedy Who Was Killing the Great Chefs of Europe in 1978... Then wrote and directed North Dallas Forty in nineteen seventy nine, which
1: was critically acclaimed. It's a really fun send up, send up of the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Not like a goofy one. It just kind of shows how it, it was one of the first movies to show the damage that <laughs> the,
2: the professional football does yeah, to the body yeah.
1: of these poor old dudes.
2: Kotchев offered the role of John Rambo to Sylvester Stallone, and the actor accepted after reading the script through in a weekend. Yeah, look, I'll take it. <laughs> Various scripts adapted from Morrill's book. Had been pitched to studios in the years since its publication, but only Stallone's involvement prompted its production. So, before Stallone was finally able to get the, the project greenlit, the project had gone through three production companies, eighteen script drafts, and one million
1: one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in rights fees. It's crazy. It's crazy the way these things happen. It you books scripts can be in turnaround for years, yeah. and, years yeah. and years and years and. Sometimes it takes decades to get a movie made. Yeah. The persistence of these people are the only thing that make these things happen. Yeah, And it's just, it's incredible that after all of this mishgas, (laughs) as they say, that we got this really great movie. It it really is a testament
2: to how good the book is because various producers kept reading it going, oh, I need to make this.
1: Yes. And it was also at a time where revenge films were very big. You had... Death Wish. Yeah. You had that yeah, belly. Yeah. And you had Dirty Harry. You had all of these anti-heroes yeah, yeah. who used a gun yeah, instead yeah. of their words. <laughs> but, but Brambo didn't use a gun. Well, he did use a gun, but he mostly used his wits. Yeah, yeah. And a knife. The time since the end of the Vietnam War and Stallone's star
2: power after the success of the Rocky films enabled him to rewrite the script to make the character of John Rambo more sympathetic.
1: Just think about it. It was only seven years. Yeah. Since the end of the Vietnam War.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Moral's book had Rambo kill many of his pursuers, and Kozel and Sackheim's draft had him killing 16 people. But in the movie, Rambo does not directly cause the death of any police or National Guardsmen.
1: Which is a great change because if he started killing them. Yeah. And if this movie was made in the 80s, he would. And they would have all been bad guys. And they yeah. would have had Corrupted some sort in of. Some yes, way. There would have been and, something yeah. that would have. Yeah. That th- they would have deserved the death of y- exactly, the got. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's just stupid. But this. He's a man of honor. Rambo is right. a man of honor. These guys are not. There is a struggle between he and Teasel that Teasel knows John Rambo is an honorable hero. Right. Teasel's not.
0: Yeah. He has yeah. his
1: medals. You can see in he, the back, of yeah. you know, when he's, he's at his death. He's lost his way. Yeah. He had a Purple Heart. He yeah. had a couple other medals. He was a veteran, too. Yeah. But he lost sight of that honor, and he... He became too big for his britches. You know, he thought that he, he has this small piece of land. It's very similar. It's crazy because it's very similar to kind of what's going on in the New Fargo series or what's kind of been going on in the nation about this federal sheriff theory where sheriffs Supersede any other authority in the Constitution oh. or anything. What? Yes. Ex- <laughs> okay. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And that they are uh, above the law in some way. And yeah. He, and he kind of has this. Oh, I'm protecting my town, but yeah, it's more so. He's just indulging his prejudice. Well, I I see Teasel as someone who.
2: He, he had an instant snap judgment mm-hmm. of John Rambo. Yes. And then realized later he was wrong, but he couldn't be wrong. Well, it was too so late. So he had to just keep diving deeper
1: and deeper and doubling down. And then, and then, you know, ended up getting people killed. It's too late. It was too late. And, and it, the, the most telling part of that is when he's talking to Troutman and he says, oh, well, if the guys are abusing him, he should have come to me. So yeah, he's he's yeah. blaming the victim again, right? And right. and and even though he allowed and encouraged that abuse, right. he knows that he's caught. He knows that he's yeah, responsible yeah, for all yeah, of this. Yeah, I, it's it's fu- yeah really like
2: like you you wouldn't the, the second he said that it was like come on man you think you'd believe him
1: but Brian that Denny, your guys are yeah. being
2: abusive really?
1: But well, Brian Dennehy is such an amazing actor that you see in his face the yeah. contradiction you yeah. see it playing out in his brain. It could have just been. Cookie cutter character, yeah, yeah, but he, uh, Danny, he is such a master, and the director did such a good job with him that he is as well rounded as Stallone as Rambo. Yeah. I think yeah. they're both really interesting characters. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think Teasel could have had a little bit
2: more in the movie. He could have had more character development, a little more backstory. A little that they that they cut out. There's a really that same moment. There's a really interesting part in the book, and 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 just after. It's set up the same way, but Rambo has killed all of his men. Literally, Teasel knows he got all these men killed. And then, and then they find out that he was a, a Vietnam War veteran and a, and a hero. Oh, wow. And he goes, Well, would it have mattered? No, no, it wouldn't have. He came to my town. Like, that was it. And yeah.
1: he, it was just like, Okay. Like, you, yeah. you know. I think it would be more effective if Rambo gave that speech. To Teasel, yeah, at the end instead yeah. of Richard Crenna because Richard Crenna kind of knows, you know, he understands. Yeah, he. And the fact that Crenna's uh, like, "Ooh, that sounds really
0: bad." It's like, come on, dude, you were there.
1: <laughs> you know, don't act like you didn't <laughs> you, know. You are responsible for this. But like, it would on. have been more interesting with Dennehy all shot up, having to listen to this, and he is actually listening to it because he's there. Yeah, yeah. But I just think it would have been more interesting. Plus, no disrespect to the late Richard Crenna. <laughs> But I don't know if he completely <laughs> understood the purpose of the role. <laughs> he didn't quite understand the assignment. <laughs> to kill. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just he, he, he just comes. He literally comes in from another movie. Yeah. And yeah. is like, hi, I'm here for this movie. Yeah. Uh, so
2: Stallone decided to let Rambo survive the film, unlike in the book. Uh, a suicide scene was filmed, but Kotcheff and Stallone opted to have Rambo turn himself in at Trapman's urging. Okay. Stallone-
0: uh, yeah. I I know. Stallone said about the script, Uh, The original Rambo was so bloodthirsty. The story was so hard, so terrifying. Every step of the way, I think that's one reason the book took so long to get done. Uh, What I did with Rambo was try to keep one foot in the establishment, and one foot in in the outlaw or frontier image. I wanted him to be accepted by the mainstream, but also to be a criminal. So he has some strong patriotic views. And he loves the system. He just doesn't like a lot of the people who live and work in it. Oh yeah. I don't know if I would agree with that after just watched the
1: movie. No, not at all. <laughs> I don't think he loves the system. No, he he loves th- I think what he's trying to say is he loves the military life and system and that worked for him. Yeah. Get up, yeah. do this, yeah. do this. Some people need that. They need to have that structure. You have respect. Like he says, <laughs> I was in charge of millions plates yeah, right, equipment. No, you're not getting control. Me washing cars, yeah. He had respect. He was an elite. He was right. elite. Right. He was an elite member of an elite organization, one of just a few hundred people that have ever done that right, right. in the country. And to go from, from that, so well-respected for what you do, so uh, celebrated for your yeah. expertise yeah. and your ability yeah. to come back and be nothing. Yeah, well, what do you do?
2: Uh, Driving a million-dollar tank doesn't translate to anything
1: in America. No, no. And and so I think what he's saying is that he loved the military lifestyle, the military establishment.
2: Well, I guess that makes sense then because then he goes back to it in the
1: sequels. Yes, he does. (laughs) You know what I found uh, really kind of cruel is at the beginning when he goes to see his friend Delroy or – Delmar. Delmar. Yeah. And he gets there and he's like, I'm here to And Lady's like, He's not here Oh, he's well, gonna be back He's, uh, he's not i Oh, oh, we're really good friends with him. <laughs> he's like, his,
0: yeah, uh, there's a picture of him. We were writing, we're working on screenplay together. It was really <laughs> cool. It was about a couple of buddies driving across country with the one guy's dead dad. He was going to spread
1: the ashes. And we were under the third act. And Like, they make him, she, he gets through, like, every <laughs> aspect of their friendship before she's finally, like, he's dead. Yeah. And it's like, you could have said uh, it before, lady. Yeah,
2: yeah but her, she's... It, it's almost like she wanted to hide the fact that her son was a a, a, a Vietnam War veteran because she forces the kid to go inside once he shows up and she's like, oh, yeah, like it's it's just yeah, cause weird. That, I mean,
1: yeah. yeah, but she could have let him know. I I, I totally he agree. Could have let him off the hook. I
0: totally agree. I totally agree. Here's a friendship bracelet. He made for me out of his own hair. <laughs> so Stallone did an
2: estimated seven revisions on the script. Uh, Kacheff requested further work be done in the script, which was performed by Larry Gross and David Guiler. Gross had written Headin' for Broadway in 1980 and collaborated with Walter Hill to write 48 Hours in 1982. Nice. Guiler wrote Fun with Dick and Jane in 77 and formed the production company Brandywine Productions with Walter Hill and Gordon Carroll. Yes, listen to last week's (laughs) podcast for some talk about Brandywine. In 1979, the trio co-produced and rewrote the script for the legendary horror thriller Alien...
1: In space. Alien in no space. No one can hear no. you scream at them. <laughs> That's true. Listen, this is my space scream. Did you hear it? Yeah, it went on, that went on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: tons of actors were considered during the 10-year development process for Rambo. When the project was purchased by Warner Brothers, Robert De Niro and Clint Eastwood were each considered for the role of Rambo. Couldn't find these uh, links. The <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> Martin Ritt Intended to cast Paul Newman As Rambo uh,
1: I'm just looking To get a sandwich Guys Hey fellas What's going on here
2: Pollock considered Steve McQueen But then rejected him Because they c- considered Him too old to play A Vietnam veteran From 1975 Yep Uh, James Conn, Burt Reynolds, and Robert Redford were also considered. Okay. According to Stallone, Burt Reynolds liked the part of Colonel Troutman and would have played him if he had been approached to do so. He would have been great. I know. I agree. However, Stallone told him that he felt he was too big a star at the time to consider taking the secondary role and never even risked offering it to him. Mm, I think, Uh, let me just be
0: clear about this.
2: I was jealous. I didn't want to make a star, because he was a big star to me back then. He he would overshadow me. He also joked he might have been too tough as Troutman and be
1: even more imposing a figure than Rambo. (laughs) 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 Well, it just, and again, I think, and Stallone will fully admit this, but he was driven by ego and insecurity, And he was kind of an a-hole when it came to his story. Being a movie star, you know, his oh, his yeah. quest to become the biggest star in the world.
2: Yeah, yeah. When Batham was considered as director, he wanted to cast John Travolta as Rambo.
0: Hey, <laughs> I just want to get something to eat out here. I'm just trying to dance. What do you mean I can't dance in your town? What was a Vietnam vet?
2: <laughs> Frankenheimer. <laughs> re- Sandy! <laughs> Frankenheimer <laughs> re- considered Powers Booth, Michael Douglas, and Nick Nolte as Rambo. Uh, Before casting Brad Davis because of his role in Midnight Express. He was great in Midnight Express,
1: Brad Davis. Yeah.
2: I didn't even know who Brad Davis is. That name is just so unfamiliar to me. Yeah. He
1: would have been. uh, He would have just been. He would have been too gruff. The thing that's crazy, Sylvester Stallone was a really good actor. Like, he was a good actor. Yeah. He became a parody in a cartoon of himself. Yeah. And. And lost any sort of real skill he ever had, I think. Yeah, yeah. But he, the qui- the, the soulless look of <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's dead eyes have never worked better. Yeah, his dead eyes worked against him in that movie where he played the fat cop. Oh, against Oh light, yeah, though. yeah. But his dead eyes work so well in this. And he was hungry back then. Yeah. You know, yeah. he worked hard. And I'm not he saying did. he didn't work hard and he, he didn't do great things after this. Right. But there's a reason why people make fun of him. Yeah. No, I, you know. Know? I and, know. But it's not because of Rambo. No. I mean, it's no, not because not of First, First blood. blood. No, no, no.
0: no.
2: Uh, Dustin Hoffman was also offered the role of Rambo, but turned it down.
1: Oh. Oh. Yeah, I don't. hop. <laughs>
2: So Stallone had success with the Rocky franchise, with Rocky II making over $200 million and Rocky Three making over $270 million. Uh, Non-Rocky movies made between the breakout success of the first film and the third film did not do terribly well. They didn't know what to do with him. Rocky Three came out in, like, March of 82, of, uh, and, and then he had First Blood uh, in in October. Uh, but it made a ton of money. I mean, yeah, he didn't know what to do. He, he was in Fist, released in 1978, loosely based on the Teamsters Union and their former president, Jimmy Hoffa. F-I-S-T. Yeah, yeah. Which Stallone also wrote and made just over $20 million from an $8 million budget. Considered a flop. Yeah. Uh, Paradise Alley, also released in seventy eight, tells the story of three Italian American brothers in Hell's Kitchen in the nineteen forties who become involved in professional wrestling. And was written and directed by Stallone, but only made seven million dollars off a six million dollar budget. In nineteen eighty one, Stallone started Nighthawks about an anti terrorist police force,
1: making nineteen point nine million from a five million dollar budget. Listen, a little better. They didn't know how to market it. Billy D. Williams was in that Rucker Hauer. It was a fun movie. You want to see me with a goatee? <laughs>
0: Good old Deacon De Silva. Deacon De Silva, police officer, going after an international terrorist. He's a terrorist out. He's going to blow whole place. Is that what
2: you want? Also in 81, he starred an Escaped Victory, which scraped up $27.5 million on a $12 million budget. But it also starred Michael Caine, Max von Sydow, and
1: Pele, while being directed by John Huston. The draw of that film was Pele. Yes. Pele was the hugest star in the world back then. Yeah, Pele... Yeah. Pele is the reason why we have soccer in America. Yeah, Pele was so huge that he forced us to start playing soccer. I went to like a Pele soccer camp. Oh, nice. Pele. I met Pele. Nice. Amazing human being. One of the nicest guys in the world. Great soccer player. I'm very privileged to have met Pele. But this was them trying to force Pele into a movie. Right. About World War II. Yeah. With Michael Kine. Yeah. You, we are a soccer team. Football. (laughs) Uh, I won't play the goalie. The whole thing was, I want to be on the team so we can escape. You can't play.
0: He was no good. Uh, <laughs> so I'll try to play the goalie.
1: And then I'm going to be the goalie. So he was the goalie. And I think they escaped. I don't know. He was, uh, <laughs> I've it was never a soccer. Seen it. It's I not bad, know. but it's totally got that weird. It's full on fits into the late 70s, yeah. early yeah. 80s milieu yeah. of. Yeah. Ridiculousness.
2: So because of all these, Stallone was getting a bit worried that Rocky was going to be his only successful character. Oh, we got Rocky. It's Uh, not enough. I mean, he actually did snag two Academy Award nominations for Rocky, Best Actor and Best Original Screenplay. Yeah, but I want more than just Rocky, okay? I want to be punchy. And uh, Stallone would never be heard from again. Yeah,
0: it was done. It was over. That was car
2: wash. Just kidding. All of the films that Stallone has worked on have grossed over
1: $7.3 billion in worldwide box office receipts. He... Say what you want, make fun of him, do whatever you want. Yeah, but Sylvester Stallone is one of the most successful movie stars. He's a movie star. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Arnold Schwarzenegger is a movie star. These are The Rock is a movie star. They're not right. actors. Not no, performers. They're movie stars, and he and that is not. Look, it's so much harder to be a movie star than it is to be oh an yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah. Because you are a franchise upon your own self. Yeah, and this guy was one of the first. Yeah, it was basically oh, totally. he and Oddled and uh, if they didn't have their crazy competition, a we wouldn't have stop him a normal shoot because <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> stories ever is that <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger basically tricked him into right. starring in that right. movie and one of the greatest pranks ever. Uh, but yeah, these guys pushed each other, pushed yeah. each other, yeah. And also, I mean, to the detriment of their careers, too. Yeah. But, you know, Sylvester Stallone is a true American success story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is. From nothing, from basically a super poor uh, adult film actor. Right. Right. Into one of the most successful movie stars in the world. It's an incredible story. Uh, Richard Crenna was cast as Colonel Samuel R. Sam Troutman.
2: Uh, when Batten was considered as director, he wanted to cast George C. Scott as Troutman.
0: Yeah, George C. Scott would have been great. He would have been great.
2: Uh, Kassar and Vanya approached Lee Marvin, but he turned down the part.
1: Oh, he would have been even better. I know, I know. Lee Marvin just looking at you breaks your jaw. That's, <laughs> that's how tough that guy is. James Mason of North by Northwest,
2: Lolita and Heaven Can Wait was also considered.
1: Oh, James Mason. Rambo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You need to stop this (laughs) Rambo.
2: Richard Jekyll of the Dirty Dozen, sometimes a great notion, and the Drowning Pool is also considered. Actually, he would have been a really good choice, too. Uh, Kirk Douglas was eventually hired, but just before shooting began, Douglas quit the role of Colonel Troutman over a script dispute. Uh, Rambo! You have to stop! And it was literally the day before they started shooting, he yeah. dropped out. Uh, Douglas wanted to retain the novel's original ending of Rambo and Teasel fatally wounding each other, Troutman finishing Rambo with a kill shot, then sitting with the dying Teasel for the sheriff's final moments. Uh, Douglas also wanted Troutman to have more screen time. Really? You think so? <laughs> Rock Hudson was approached as a replacement, but was soon to go undergo heart surgery and had to pass up the chance to work with Stallone. I think that's also... Around the time he was diagnosed
1: with AIDS too. Yeah.
2: I think so, so yeah. Uh Richard Creno was quickly hired as a replacement. The role of Troutman came became the veteran character actor's most famous role, a performance which he received much critical praise.
1: Really? Okay.
2: Carcana <laughs> <Krenna starred>, started started <laughs> in radio in 1937 before transitioning with a radio show that became a TV show in 1952. Uh, they did that early TV was a lot of radio shows that became TV shows. Oh yeah, yeah. They, had to, they needed material and they, yeah. He was well known for acting in westerns. He directed eight episodes of the Andy Griffith Show during its 63 64 season. Golly. During the 1970s, Krennic continued acting in Western dramas such as *The Deserter*, *Catlow*, *The Man Called Noon*, and *Breakheart Pass*. Hey, look, I love him. He was great. He was great in those. Oh yeah, yeah. The 1978 miniseries Centennial, based on James A. Michener's historical novel of the same name, saw Crenna in the role of deranged religious fanatic Colonel Frank Skimmerhorn who ordered the 1864 massacre of Colorado
1: American Indians. Oh my god, every year we had some boring, long-ass James A. Michener <laughs> historical novel miniseries. Miniseries yeah. that we had to slog through. 48 hours long. Good yeah. Lord, have you ever tried to read Alaska? No.
2: No, and I won't now. <laughs> After Rambo crowned won an Emmy award and a Golden Globe award for best performance by an actor in a miniseries or motion picture made for television nomination for his performance in the title role of the 1985 film The Rape of Richard Beck.
1: Yeah, that's a Look, that was a pretty interesting film. Yeah, Uh, I don't really remember it. Yeah, I don't remember either. But it was about a dude getting raped, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was essentially
2: the first time that, like, male-on-male rape was depicted. Well, I said that in the most, like... <laughs>
0: wasn't it? Throw It was about a dude what? getting it raped. This d- <laughs> dude... Yeah. yeah.
1: Dudes. Uh, yeah, I remember... <laughs> I remember when I found out that that was a possibility. I'll just tell this real quick. So those of you who've listened before, have heard this. So, when I was really young, the old man uh, decided to show me deliverance. And while I was watching that, as a young, young boy, way too young to be watching it, all of a sudden, the piggy scene comes up. I'm like, what are they doing to him? The old man without skipping a beat.
0: They're raping him.
1: They can do that? I mean, I was so... I didn't have any idea that that was even a possibility. And then, from then on, I was terrified. Yeah. Terrified I was going to be taken by some... Some odd hillbillies <laughs> in the middle of Escondido. The middle of Escondido. <laughs> there were a lot of hillbillies there.
2: What'd you do, boy? Corinna spoofed the Troutman character in Hot Shots Part 2 in 1993, which was honestly a better uh, performance than in. Literally, Crambo. did not change his acting at all for Hot Shots Part 2 from First Blood. <laughs> he could have just taken that
1: entire scene and just inserted it into Hot Shots Part 2. He just. Floats it. Literally looks like he floats in in his little coat, (laughs) his little little position. Hi there. Oh, you better. And then he's just indignant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but he has the best lines. He has the most quotable lines in the movie. Well, if you're going to go after him, you're going to need one thing. What's that? Body bags. Body bags. That's more than one thing. Those are several.
2: (laughs) Body bags.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That and Trained. To kill. <laughs> to kill. To kill.: To kill. I. Come to John Remo, Come to John Remo, Come in John Remo.: <laughs> It was just it, I get it. I get his yeah. performance, but looking at this list, and I, I'm a Krenna fan through and through. <laughs> but looking at this list, just about anybody would have been better, I think.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he kind of portrayed New York City Police Department Lieutenant of Detectives Frank Janick in a series of seven popular made-for-television films, beginning in 88 and ending in 94. Those were really good.
1: The I remember, Janik. yes, yeah. the Janick mysteries or whatever yeah, they were yeah. called. The, again, he was a really great actor. It's just he... Seemed like he was from a different movie. Just his yeah. performance and no, it definitely
2: was like, but I, but that kind of worked it, for me in First Blood. That worked it because did. because it was like, oh no, he's so much above all this stuff. Like like he just embodied that like I, the government, I guess you know, or that the military-industrial complex. Like he's kind of embodied that,
1: right? And the fact that it's just, I guess, his okay. So I guess it's the difference between. Brian Dennehy's subtle acting yeah. with his face yeah. and, his, and what's <laughs> going his on behind face. the scenes. Yeah. And then the billboard <laughs> that is Richard Krenner's face when, you know, it's like he sees the smoke and then mm, yeah. he's yeah. got this like, whoo, <laughs> oh, smite hey. cat eating the canary kind of look on his face. Yeah. That is just, he's proud. He's proud. I guess subtlety <laughs> is the word I'm looking for that was lacking a little bit in his performance. Yeah. But still, it's not like it made the movie bad or he was bad or anything. I'm just being – I'm just giving him a little ribbon because he just didn't seem as grounded as these other actors. And you had some great, great actors in this movie. Uh, His last feature
2: film was wrongfully accused in 1998, a parody of The Fugitive starring Leslie Nielsen.
1: His (laughs) – they, they got Leslie in every one of them, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Every single parody film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Poor Leslie Nielsen. Amazing, hilarious actor. Love the fact that he was one of the most serious actors in the world. Yeah. And then Airplane yeah. just completely changed the trajectory of his life and made him one of the biggest stars in the world, carrying around his fart machine. <laughs> but, yeah, that guy. And, and just, it was just so sad because he was so good at it. But by the end, yeah. I don't know, I think this might have been one of his last ones. It was. Uh, well, yeah. It's, it's definitely just, one of his last parodies. Yeah, And it's, it's just, he was slipping, and yeah. it just wasn't as tight, and it was just
2: sad. Crenna's last role was as Tyne Daly's wealthy businessman fiancé in 13 episodes of Judging Amy. Uh, his character dies 48 hours before their wedding, a storyline twist necessitated by the unexpected death of the actor Richard Krenna. Uh, he died of pancreatic ca- cancer at 76 in 2003 oh. in Los Angeles.
1: That's sad. Yeah, he I watched
2: *Judging Amy*. He he literally died during production, and they had to to change it all up. Um, yeah, it was sad. I he was a great actor. I mean, it, <laughs> he's I I know that it it definitely seems like he sticks out in this, but for me, it works in this movie.
1: Sure, it does. I, I'm not saying it doesn't. It's just he's so polished and put. To, it just seems yeah. like they whisked him in from. Yeah. You know, a different soundstage. stage. It like, all right, we need this guy. And <laughs> very strong choices. Yeah,
2: Brian Dennehy was cast as Sheriff William Will Teasel. Richard Brooks wanted to cast either Burt Lancaster
1: or Lee Marvin as Sheriff Teasel. Both great choices, except too movie starry. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. like I could totally see, I could see Lee Marvin, but Burt Lancaster was just too larger than life. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Martin Ritt intended to cast Robert Mitchum as Teasel. Okay. Great! That would have been great. Robert Mitchum. Was yeah,
2: he'd be he'd be good. Amazing actor. John Batham wanted to cast either Gene Hackman or Charles Durning as Teasel. Great. Hackman and Durning both would have been fantastic. Uh, Kassar and Vanya approached Academy Award winners Gene Hackman and Robert Duvall, but both turned the part down. Amazing. Both would have been amazing. Despite being known mostly as a dramatic actor, Dennehy's breakout role was
1: as Teasel in Rambo. Yeah, it's again, I. I Brian Dennehy was a talent crush of mine. I think I've talked yeah, about this yeah. before. Uh, if those of you who are just listening, I get talent crushes, or I, you know, I still do, but when I was a little kid, I would see an actor, usually some character actor, and would completely become enamored with their performance and them, and I would follow their career. And Brian Dennehy's one of the guys that, as good as he was playing a bad guy, I just hated seeing it, because he was so likable. I just yeah, wanted him to yeah. be the good guy. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And so yeah. that's what's... So great about him is that he can play both good and bad believably. Yeah, and in this movie, the the expectations I have of him as a good guy really worked yes. in the benefit of yes. this film because I wanted to like him. I wanted right. I didn't want to hate him, even though he was a very hateable guy.
2: Yeah, yeah. His earlier films included several comedies like Semi-Tough and 1977 with Burt Reynolds, in which he portrayed a pro football player. Foul Play in nineteen seventy eight with Chevy Chase. Mm, check out our Foul Play episode. There you go. And ten in nineteen seventy nine with Dudley
1: Moore as a Manzanillo bartender. I totally forgot he was in that, and he <laughs> was so good. It's a very small part, yeah, but yeah. it's he has this great scene with Dudley Moore, and it's just it's hilarious. And again, playing a good guy, a yeah. nice guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I loved him in the FX movies. Yeah, he was so yeah. cool in those. Oh, so great. He was just. Such a great – and he was such a great actor, but also one of those guys that made it seem effortless, Yeah. but also so complex at the same time. Like you could see everything going on, but it was natural. It's like the difference between, say, he and Tom Cruise. Yeah. I can see the wheels turning in Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise seems like every aspect of his his performance is planned out in a notebook – Right and step one, step two, step two a, step three a, and then look at this, and then smirk. But Dennehy's one of those guys that just embodies the part so well and just so seemingly effortlessly, yeah. effortlessly that you can lose yourself. No matter how good or bad the movie is, you're gonna you're gonna lose yourself in his acting. Uh, he also appeared in Stallone and Fist in 1978. Uh, he would go on to have a long
2: career in film and TV. We've we've discussed Denny before, so just go back and find some of our episodes. <laughs> okay. It's just, it's just uh, you know, his final role was in Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, which was released after he died from cardiac arrest in April of 2020. Yeah, he was good in that. Yeah. Uh, Bill McKinney was cast as Captain Dave Kern. McKinney's breakthrough role was in John Borman's Deliverance in 1972, playing as the sex-crazed mountain man who violently sodomizes Ned Beatty's character.
1: Squeal like a piggy. Come on, piggy. Totally changing Jim's
2: life forever.
1: (laughs) Squeal!
2: He also appeared in seven Clint Eastwood films, most most notably as Captain Terrell, the commander pursuing the last rebels to hold out against surrendering to the Union forces in the outlaw Josie Wales. Okay. Some other Eastwood movies include The Gauntlet in 1977, Every Which Way But Loose in 78, any Which Way You Can in 80, and Pink Cadillac in 1989. He and, uh... He... He and Eastwood were good friends. Yeah, they were very close. Other memorable roles include Jacob, who was killed by John Wayne in Wayne's final film, The Shootist, in 1976. Yeah, with a young Ronnie Howard. And that's yeah. how he was, uh... Credited, ronnie 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 howard. howard yeah uh mckinney also guest
1: starred in a bunch of tv shows including the young indiana jones chronicles starsky and hutch the a-team hunter murder she wrote Columbo swan song and
2: the heat of the night McKinney's final film role was as the silent boss in the 2011 film The Custom Mary, written and directed by Matt Dunnerstick, about a young Latina in East Los Angeles who meets an African-American lowrider and struggles to reconcile her faith and blossoming love affair while becoming dangerously involved in a religious attempt to clone Jesus. Yeah. That's such
1: a great movie. I have no idea. (laughs) I had to include that because it is the most ridiculous premise I've ever heard. I kind of want to see it. (laughs) It's going to be bad. I don't care. I don't. There's not a lot of Jesus clone movies out there. (laughs) On December 1st, 2011, McKinney
2: died from esophageal cancer at his home at the age of 80. Uh, Jack Starrett as Deputy Sergeant Arthur Art Galt.
0: You don't need him. Did dry shave him. The most
2: cartoony character in the movie uh, Stared is perhaps best known for his role as Gabby Johnson A parody of George Gabby Hayes The 1974 film Blazing
0: Saddles <laughs> Yes he was great we <laughs> need.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Starrett uh, Starrett acted in the biker films The Born Losers, Hell's Angels on Wheels, both from 1967, Angels from Hell in 1968, and Hell's Bloody Devils in 1970. A lot of hell in there. He also directed two more biker movies, uh, Run Angel Run in 69, and Noms Angels in 70.
1: Nams Angels!
2: As well as the horror film Race with the Devil in 1975, which was filmed in
0: his home state of Texas. You better get bikes to the devil and enter, I don't want no part of it.
2: He also directed Cleopatra Jones in 1973, the infamous exploitation movie starring Tamara Dobson. God, he's done a lot. I didn't even, I had no idea. Uh, not watching him gleefully try to murder Sylvester Stallone or John Rambo from a helicopter did I realize this guy directed Cleopatra Jones. <laughs> the guy that turns to the helicopter
1: pilot,
0: you keep this thing steady or I swear to God I want to kill
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> really? What, buddy? We're on the same team, we- psycho. <laughs> You're literally my boss.
0: I don't care. I'm the deputy.
2: In addition, he made guest appearances on TV shows including Hill Street Blues, Hunter, The A-Team, and Knight Rider, in which he made three guest appearances as different characters. That's how it was done back then. Uh, Starrett died in 1989 from kidney failure in Sherman Oaks, California, at the age of 52. So young. I think he
0: haunts our place.
2: I <laughs> Maybe he lived Sorry. in the building. I agree. D-
0: I'm shave you down. Oh, my God. Keep but 52.
2: I, I literally thought he was in his late 50s in the movies. Yeah. So I I, yeah.
1: Oh, that's so sad. Yeah.
2: Michael Talbot as Deputy Balford. Uh, Talbot is best known for his co-starring role as Detective Stanley Switek
1: in the 1980s television series Miami Vice.
0: Oh, yeah. Switek.
1: He was the kind of comic relief. He and... Oh, it was like Dweezel and Switek. I forget the other guy's name. It was something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, but they were the two guys that were kind of the tech guys for – Oh, know, yeah. Or, yeah. I was going to say Crockett and Hobbs, but it's, <laughs> not. it's Crockett and Tubbs. Crockett and Tubbs. But, uh, yeah, he he's great. He was great in this movie. And he's just another really good character actor. He was so yeah. much fun in Miami Vice. Zwitek uh, – is that his name? Zwitek, yeah. Zwitek in, in Diesel or Dweezel or something. But anyway, I, uh, yeah. I'm going to have to watch all the shows now. <laughs> That's another one I'm rewatching soon. Oh, nice. Is, uh, Miami nice. Vice.
2: Uh, his other television credits include MASH, Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons, Age is Enough, and many others.
1: Well, he also had this kind of man child. Yeah. He's had a baby face. Yeah, like he's got he, a baby face yeah. and he kind of and that was kind of what really worked for him in Miami Vice is he was yeah. you know kind of a man child and yeah. you know it it's kind of hard to take him seriously because of the way <laughs> you know and and it works so well for playing the deputy too oh, yeah. cuz he yeah. was one of there's kind of two contingencies in the police department here.
2: Yeah. You've got
1: the guys that are all gung-ho to get this some bitch. Yeah. And then, you know, you have guys like him and David Caruso, Deputy Mitch. Yeah. Who are like, Come on guys, I mean I think we're going like, too far. Yeah, it's like, okay, whatever. He literally didn't actually break any laws. No. And then when Deputy Mitch is like, uh, come <laughs> you're killing all of us. Maybe we should just let the states take <laughs> care of this. And then <laughs> Rich then Brian Denny he, oh, ooh, well, look he, said, yeah. Thank you, buddy.
0: That's do, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, he appeared in a number of films, playing a bully in Carrie, a party crasher in Big Wednesday, a highway patrolman in Any Which Way You Can, a reckless stunt driver in used cars, and a real estate agent in Manhunter. Yeah. His last feature film was in 1995, and Captain Nuke and the Bomber Boys playing a scumbag. Okay. Literally credited as a scumbag. Well. He did continue working in TV for a while, with his last appearance being in the TV movie Three Blind Mice. Talbot is an outspoken supporter, member of the NRA of America, the National Rifle Association of America. Well, I only better hurry up, because that's in its
1: last throes.
2: He currently lives in his hometown of Waverly, Iowa. Uh, as of 2011, he is also a spokesperson-presenter for Panteo Productions, a production company and distributor of
1: firearms and tactical videos. All right, so he... We- Whatever. He pivoted. The guy's not getting yeah. a lot of movie roles, and he's, he's got his cred from being on Miami Vice. and He's got his thing. Yeah, he's doing his thing. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, what, as long as you ain't killing anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have as many guns as you want. <laughs> Chris Mulkey was cast as Deputy Ward. Mulkey has appeared in Captain Phillips, Against the Wall, Cloverfield, the NBC TV movie Night Rider, 24, Boardwalk Empire, Friday Night Lights, Boomtown, Justified, Beretta,
2: and Twin Peaks. In 1982, along with First Blood, Mulkey also appeared in 48 Hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, in 1984, he appeared in Dreamscape, starring Dennis Quaid, and in Runaway, starring Tom Selleck
1: and Gene Simmons. You know exactly who this dude is. You've seen his face a million times. As yeah. soon as you see it's, him, yes. he's you one of those exactly guys, is. one of those great character actors that as soon as he started and he's going to work until – is he still alive? Uh, yeah. He's going to work until the day he dies. Yeah. He's just one of those guys and just solid, solid performer. Yeah. He played the main character in
2: the controversial 1985 Super Tramp music video, Brother Where You Bound. Uh, it was the longest song ever recorded by Supertramp at 16 minutes. The video brought controversy due to its graphic depictions of violence. All right. It's probably pretty quaint now. Uh, it's on YouTube. I watched it. And it's, yeah, it's not. I don't know why people were like. But it had actually actual real, like, b- beyond him. Like, they intercut, oh. like, actual footage of people okay. being killed and stuff.
1: I love uh Super A lot of Tramp. military stuff. Yeah, it's, good. it's actually a pretty good song. I was surprised. Supertramp um, is an extremely underrated band. I agree. I agree. So unique. Such (laughs) a unique sound. Uh, He
2: appeared in the Wing Commander franchise as Jacob Hawk Manley, uh, which is one of my favorite video games growing up. He appeared in the science fiction film The Hidden and the 1989 sci-fi cop film K-9000. I remember (laughs) K-9000. I do not at all. Mulkey played the supporting role of husband to Annie Potts' character in Any Day Now from 1998 to 2002. He has appeared in more recent films such as
1: The Purge, Slow Burn, Sanitarium, The
2: Identical, and On the Basis of Sex. In 2014, he had a cameo role in
1: Whiplash. Uh, his Southern Blues band is called Chris Mulkey and Blue Highway. I swear, I didn't know he had a band, but I knew he had a band. Yeah, so just yeah, looking at him, yeah. you know that some bitch has a band. Uh,
2: his last acting role was in Mr. Corman, the sitcom starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt on Apple TV Plus. Uh, he's
1: 75, and he's still working. Good he continues to get parts.: Good, because he's a solid, excellent actor. He I mean, is. Chris Mulkey. Like I said, as soon as you see him, you're like, "Oh, that guy.
2: Yeah, you watch anything from the '80s." and you're like, "You see Chris Mulkey. He'll be so there. good. John McLean was cast as Orville Kellerman. Uh, McLean was a master of accents, using them over a long acting career. Ew. His film, he's the guy that has the dogs, uh, if you remember.
0: He's my babies. You yeah. get him, he got my babies.
2: His film appearances include My Fair Lady in 1964, In Cold Blood, and Cool Hand Luke, both in 67. Great. John Frankenheimer's movie adaptation of The Iceman Cometh in 1973, and The Missouri Breaks in 1976. Both really good films. He had guest roles in dozens of television series, including
1: The Twilight Zone, Mannix, Magnum P.I., M.A.S.H., Murder, she wrote. The A-Team, The Virginian, Gunsmoke, Brett Maverick, T.J. Hooker, Dynasty, The Waltons, Bonanza... Little House on the Prairie, Highway to Heaven, and Perimaison. Uh, unfortunately, he died on my sixteenth birthday, April sixteenth, nineteen ninety four,
2: from melanoma and Parkinson's disease at the age of seventy six. That's so sad. And that was like your special birthday because it was you my were golden birthday. On the 16th. Yeah, it was my golden birthday. I had no idea. It's really interesting because in the book, Orville is technically Teasel's kind of father figure. Oh, Teasel's dad got accidentally shot while hunting and died, and so Orville. But they have such great conversations because. It's like a stepfather. And, and it's. I'm really curious when you read it, but it's it's really interesting. And then Orville ends up getting shot through the spine. <laughs> like it's nasty. Well, he and took one in the leg. Teasel blames himself. And yeah, he
1: got shot in the leg.
2: Uh, David Crusoe was cast as deputy Mitch Rogers. Come
1: on, guys. What are we doing here, guys?
2: <laughs> Crusoe fascinates me because he's such a weirdo.
1: But he is. <sighs> The thing about David Caruso, he is a good actor. I know. I know. It's just he's so brutally unlikable as a human being. Yes. And and, and, and I don't even know if he's an unlikable person. It just seems like he's a Uh, difficult. He seems very difficult, yes. If you don't know, Caruso rose to fame on NYPD Blue. Yeah. Which was a breakout Uh, television series because they showed naked butts. Yeah. Ugh. Well, yeah. Big fat butts. Mostly seeing. Fat white butts. Uh, what's that guy's name? The big fat white butt. Sipowitz. Yeah. Got to see Sipowitz, big old butt. But David Caruso was the breakout uh, star and got too big for his britches, and said, yeah. I'm out of here. I'm going to be a movie star. Yeah. Well. And then the movie said, we don't want you, yeah. David Caruso. And then he went that, back that to happens, TV. Unfortunately, way too often. And then did CSI. And then now he's just the guy that whips off his sunglasses. I don't know. Maybe she's iced out. Again, <laughs> again, again,
2: again just the visual does not work on a podcast. <laughs> I pulled off my sunglasses. You
1: didn't so see that. So
2: Caruso's first movie appearance was the 1980 film Getting Wasted as Danny. He credits his role as Topper Daniels. The cadet who nearly drowned. In An Officer and a Gentleman in 1982 is what got him noticed. He was really good at that. Yeah.
1: he's just got Caruso's got a, a, an easy way about him. Yeah, and I mean I really liked him in First Blood. Yeah, like he was he was interesting. He's got a likability. There's an intelligence to what he does. He's got a very unique way, and the fact that he's an evil ginger and yeah, is able no. to overcome that is uh, really impressive. Crusoe then spent most of the decade
2: in supporting roles in films, including Blue City in '86, China Girl in '87, and Twins in 1988. Hey. On television, Crusoe had a recur- recurring role as Tommy Mann, leader of the street gang the Shamrocks, in seven episodes of the NBC police drama. Hill Street Blues, yes. from 81 to
1: 83. Yes, yes, the Shamrocks. The Shamrocks. Oh, baby. You remember when the New York gangs were taken over by the Irish Shamrocks, those Irish gangs that came out of nowhere? Yeah. Ooh, they're after me, Lucky Charms. Ooh, we're going to do some crimes, aren't we? woo <laughs> He portrayed U.S. Olympian
2: James Brendan Connolly in the 1984 miniseries The First Olympics, Athens, 1896, and also appeared in two episodes of the series Crime Story, While filming 1991's Hudson Hawk, he employed method acting, refusing to talk to anyone on set because his character Kit Kat was mute, having had his tongue bitten off. All right, this is why I hate him.
1: Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've been acting since, I don't know, I've been acting for 50 years now. Yeah. Almost. Almost 50 years. I'm not the best actor in the world, as (laughs) is probably evidenced by the fact that I don't have a career or anything. But... Method acting, this type of method acting, is just selfish and just BS. So so stupid. If you can't pretend, because that's all acting is, is pretending. I mean, I know so many actors are so ashamed of what they do that they have to try to church it up a bit. But, come on. Especially for this character. Is it that hard to get into... Not talking? No. But this is another just, it's another way for people to self-important, to make acting self-important because they know that they're overpaid for doing something that is just silly. (laughs) And that's coming from somebody who does it. I love acting. I love filmmaking. I love all of it. But it is not a hard job and it is not a job that, you know, I get it. No, I know, I know Everybody just needs to to calm the F down In 1993,
2: Caruso landed his first major role as Detective John Kelly in the police procedural series NYPD Blue For which he won a Golden Globe Award Yes, he was very popular TV Guide named him as one of the six new stars to watch in the 93-94 television season Yep He made news by leaving the highly rated show the following year Only four episodes into the second season after failing to obtain the raise he wanted Yep His decision to leave the series would later be listed in a 2010 issue of TV
1: Guide as number six on a list of TV's 10 biggest blunders. Yes, it was stupid. It's just you believe your own press. He got too big, (laughs) too fast, and
2: got a big head. He was unable to establish himself as a leading man in any movies. His appearances in the 1995 thrillers Kiss of Death and Jade were met with negative reception from critics, with both films receiving mixed reviews and poor box office takings. And Caruso was nominated for the
1: Golden Raspberry Award for Worst New Star for both movies. It was so bad. Have you seen Kiss of Death? No. I haven't oh seen either of them. my God. Kiss of Death is definitely worth seeing for Nick Cage. Nick Cage is super buff. Oh, he plays yeah. He like, Sonny yeah. or something. I mean, I have seen that, actually. And he's just out of control. I'm out of control. And David is trying to, hey, just relax, buddy. Just keep it together. Oh, I, I'm going to kill everybody. It's just... It's stupid, <laughs> but you get to see uh, you get to see Nick Cage doing uh, presses with a stripper. Oh, nice! Like, you know bench presses. That's it's fun. fun. In 1997, <laughs> yeah. it is fun. <laughs>
2: In 1997, Caruso returned to television as a New York City-based federal prosecutor in the short-lived CBS law drama series Michael Hayes, which aired for one season. Yeah, not good. In 2002, Caruso returned to television in his first successful role since NYPD Blue, starring as police lieutenant Horatio Cain in the CSI spin-off series CSI
1: Miami. See, what we realized about David Caruso is we don't like him as a leading man, and we don't like anything built around him. That is dumb. He's okay if he's part of an ensemble. Right, right. and, it, like, and like a procedural. Yes. Yeah. Because then there's other people around, <laughs> and we don't have to just focus. You can watch for a little bit. On David Caruso <laughs> him. being smug. And just like a lot of actors that start to believe their own press, the reason why he bombed in these two movies is because his acting sucked. Yeah. And he completely yeah. got in his head, and you could see the wheels are turning yeah. and him trying to be – quote quotes the actor. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He was the first major actor, or sorry, he was the first actor in the franchise to appear as the same character on three of the five CSI programs. Yeah. He was known for fre- frequently using one-liners at the beginning of each episode. Many of these include him putting on his trademark sunglasses mid-sentence, then walking off screen just as the main theme starts.
1: Yeah. That's what <laughs> I did. Which has been
2: parodied many, many, many times. Rightly so. In 2012, CSI Miami was canceled after 10 seasons due to a decline in ratings and the climbing cost of production. It's a good run, man. 10 seasons is good. He was the only actor to appear in all 232 episodes of the series. (laughs) Son of a bitch learned his lesson. I ain't leaving the show. You're going to have to pull me out of here kicking and screaming. In fact, he learned so well that after CSI Miami was canceled, he quietly retired from acting and became involved in the art business. Okay. He has not acted since.
1: All right. Well, okay. Good for him. I mean, look. The guy, you have to give him credit for being publicly <laughs> humiliated and destroyed. <laughs> for actually learning a very
2: hard yes! lesson. Yeah. He
1: learned a lesson. And he came back and did his, di- did his do. And he was good on CSI Miami. That was a very good fit for him. I, it just reminds me
2: a lot of when I was working on One Tree Hill and Chad Michael Murray. And he had the same thing. He was so popular with the teenies. And he thought, oh, well, I'm going to leave the show and go to the movies. Has anybody seen Chad Michael Murray recently? No, I, I'm sure he's probably been in something, but like it's, it's, he does not have the success that he thought he was oh, going oh, to. He's going to start being in those like right wing turning point movies or whatever. He was, I think he's, it was in some USA show, like playing a cop or something. Anyway, well, good for him. I mean, he's, I think he's definitely working, but he didn't have the career he thought he was going. Well,
1: to. Well, some guys, some people need to be humbled. Yes, and then they do their uh, penance, but you know they. They do what they need to do. They come back and they're fine. You know what I mean? It's just There's just some actors that are not supposed
2: to be leads in feature films. Exactly. And not if everybody you lie is to Harrison yourself Ford. about it, I mean, like Kevin Bacon was yeah. the same way. He was very frustrated and then finally just accepted the fact that he's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to have fun. I'm going
1: to take stuff. I'm going to have fun. But Kevin Bacon, to me, is, I mean, I, is a crime I agree. that he wasn't a bigger star. I agree. I agree. I, I ain't too bent up. About David Caruso. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would have loved to see more of my man, The Bakes.
2: Yeah. So the film was shot in the Fraser Valley of British Columbia on a $15 million budget between November 15th, 81 and April 1982. There was a standing rule on set that no one was to travel more than 50 feet away from the rest of the crew because, as Stallone notes...
0: Everyth- everything, everything looks the same. There's no outstanding features anywhere. They're all the same trees, the same rock same underbrush so you get confused i was like look i'm trying to learn how to read and i'm looking at these trees and i'm just all confused and then i get really angry and i get frustrated and like you gotta take a nap and then i take a nap and i have some cheerios and i feel better the the greatest evidence of
2: this or the greatest example of this was when they had a very long shot and all of a sudden. Like a hundred guys come out from behind trees. Yeah, that was. And it was cool. just like, where were they? Yeah, that was really. It was. Cool.
1: I mean, you you literally can get lost so easily in these woods. It's so funny too that I don't know why, but that that uh, national guard scene just turns into a comedy bit. Oh, yeah. That that felt the most out of place. It was just like, what? All right, Charlie, you and you and I'm not going in there. But I gotta, I gotta go back open the drugstore tomorrow. Uh, well, then you go. I'm not doing it. That guy's yeah. got a gun. God, he just wanted to shoot
2: a bazooka. He <laughs> <Like, laughs> just is like, what? But it, but that was definitely
1: showing how the weekend warriors oh, were yeah. just idiots. Oh yeah, the Gravy Seals. He just didn't have, you know. And I don't blame them. I would have been like. Pfft. F you. I'm not going to go get killed. The yeah. guy was absolutely right. He's like, I, I have a hardware store. I'm not going to yeah. just get killed like, for not, this bullshit. This, you know. this is a weekend thing.
2: Uh, so Stallone mentions how Genie's the idea was to have all the officers wearing white hats so they would be easily noticeable in the woods. Yeah, that's my idea. Uh, the town scenes in the movie were shot in Hope and the nearby Coquihalla Canyon... Provincial Park, called Chapman Gorge in the film, while the rest of the movie was shot in Capilano Canyon, Golden Ears Provincial Park, and Pit Lake in Pitt Meadows. I've been to Golden Ears. Oh, yeah? Uh, I've never, I honestly have never been to Canada, so I don't, Oh, yeah, I, Canada's yeah. beautiful. You'd yeah. love it. During the production, Buzz Fight Shans replaced producer Ed Carlin, who suffered a heart attack. Good lord, there's a lot of heart attacks. You may remember Buzz from our Total Recall episode. If not, listen to the Total Recall episode. Ow! Uh, you, you would also produce the next two Rambo movies Rambo First Blood Part 2 which we've also covered Please listen to that episode and Rambo 3 and Which we will never cover <laughs>
1: We may uh. But First Blood Part 2 is the dumbest title too. by know, the way I know. It's Rambo First Blood Part 2 <laughs> like sec- They should have yeah. called it Second Blood Yeah
2: The locations chosen for the film initially experienced unseasonably warm And sunny weather during the filming Which posed challenges since the crew had counted on it being overcast Yeah uh, however, a period of heavy snowfall beginning in January of 1982 Delayed the production by two months
1: Weather, it'll yeah. always F you Yeah
2: Other delays were caused by injuries to the cast during stunts Including Stallone sustaining a serious back injury And several broken ribs In particular due to performing his own stunt Of dropping off a cliff and into a tree
1: Which he didn't have to do, by the way That's just hubris
2: And the real irony of it is that They shot the first time and he was fine And then, and then the director, Todd Koch, was like Let's do it one more time And then he almost broke his back All right, I guess that's enough. Uh, Also, and I don't think I include this, but Brian Dennehy, when he falls through the ceiling of the – when he lands, he broke a couple ribs. Good Lord! Like, And that's on screen. Like, him screaming is literally him screaming because he broke his ribs. Jesus. Yeah. The, yeah, the, Another guy broke his nose, too, when yeah, he got yeah, popped, when the he escaped sh- the, Yeah, yeah, he, he he elbowed, it's on screen, he elbows the guy to get out, and he hit him too hard and broke his nose That reaction, I was like, damn, that's really realistic <laughs> And it is because <laughs> it's true That's the, the the scene where he falls on that branch, and he screams, is real, because he broke ribs and cracked his back
1: Yeah, you could tell, because like, he's like, oh, Jesus Christ It's <laughs> so nasty <laughs> Oh, Jesus Yeah, it's, it, it uh, yeah. it <laughs> There's some of the most realistic reactions to pain in this movie because they're not
2: acting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since the production ran over schedule, Corinna's role in the film was cut in order to ha- avoid paying him higher fees as specified in his contract. Uh, so he should have been more in the movie. Uh, he was really only in two scenes. That's all we needed. I, yeah, I agree. Uh, the firearms used in the film had to be imported into Canada because of the country's firearms regulations. Oh, yeah. In January 1982, over $50,000 worth of firearms, including 14 M16 rifles, three Remington shotguns, two Magnum revolvers, and 11 Colt AR-15 rifles, were stolen from the set. Uh-oh. As yes, Canadians, although the guns had been modified to shoot blanks, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police claimed that they could be easily modified to fire live ammunition.
0: Hey,
1: let's uh, grab these guns, eh? We can uh, use them, hey? If we use them with the blanks, eh? They can't get us for armed robbery. Okay, let's do it, eh? After the
2: incident, the set was guarded by the Canadian Army, whose soldiers also served as extras in the film.
1: Okay, uh, we're going to be uh, extras, and um, we're going to have to—you're going to have to get us some crawlers. And some back bacon, and uh, we we all need toques for our heads to keep <laughs> us warm. I just love the fact that I literally forgot
2: that Canada has an army. <laughs> like, Does it uh, exactly? Rambo's trademark combat knife was custom designed by the late Arkansas knife maker Jimmy Lyle. The movie popularized knocked off the movie popularized knockoff hollow handle survival
1: knives with compasses in the pommel. Oh my god! So I my stepdad was a gun collector. And we used to go to gun shows all the time. And uh, I got a Rambo knife. Mm -hmm. I got a good one. And then I have like two or three of the knockoffs. Yeah. But, man, you go to the gun shows back in the 80s, and it was tables and tables of Rambo-style Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, Stallone personally selected uh, Jimmy Lyle to design and create the iconic knife first used by Rambo. The goal was to create a knife that could be reliable for extreme survival situations, including being long and sharp enough to slice food or cut wood, waterproof and able to hold necessities like matches and medicine, able to carry a nylon string for fishing or snaring, and have an alternate blade of saw teeth for defense in order to, or in order to cut poles for shelter.
1: Yep. My my knife has all of those things.
2: In all, six knives were created to be used during production, with additional updated versions made for subsequent movies in the series. Ironically, the knife is not in the novel at all. <laughs> well, well, because he kills everybody. Uh, he uses a gun. Yeah, <laughs> in
1: this, it makes more sense because it also gives him more character. Because yeah. he's, he, you can tell he's kind of done with guns. Yeah, because yeah. of Nam. Yeah, and so he's got this knife that he carries for. As he says, hunting, which yeah. he definitely does yeah. hunt with it. He, t- he, kills he jumps boar.
0: on the boar. Yeah.
2: Yeah, in, in the book, he actually, during the chase into the woods, which, by the way, he all the motorcycle stuff in the book, he's totally naked because it happens right after he gets sprayed oh. down. And he, he kills one of the cops, and he runs away. He's on the motorcycle driving away, and he's running through the woods, and he comes upon this uh, old like mountaineer and his son, and he knows that they're making moonshine. It's in Kentucky. And so he essentially tells him, "If you don't help me, I'm going to lead them right here, and you're going to get busted." Mm. And so the old man just gives him clothes and a gun, <laughs> and is like, "Go on your way."
1: Yeah, yeah. Some honor about being a <laughs> shiner, making you shine. Uh,
2: and then shortly after that, he becomes crazy and tries to, and literally murders everyone.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: So the first rough cut <laughs> <He> was already
1: <laughs> crazy Adam me. PTSD. But it just, he just, yeah. You know, anyway,
2: uh, the first rough cut of the film was between three and three and a half hours long. Good lord! Uh, according to Sylvester Stallone,
1: it was so bad that it sickened his agent and him. Oh my god! Yes, he it, hear him talking about this is, is hilarious because he's like, Ugh, "The worst thing I ever saw." He's we
0: was, we was like, "We're gonna buy up all the negatives and we're gonna burn it." Yeah, he wanted to buy it and
2: destroy it, thinking it was a career killer. Yeah, my career. Uh, after heavy re-editing, the film was cut down to 93 minutes, the version that was ultimately released in theaters.
1: Yeah, and according to him, he's like, look,
0: just like, let's just cut out everything I said because I was saying all these stupid one-lines. Yeah, you know? yeah kill a guy and so be like, much,
2: So much bad dialogue Yeah,
0: And he's just like, all we did was cut out all my, all my dialogue, and it was a good movie.
2: Uh, and they, they, he had said that apparently the chase, like after he gets out and rides a motorcycle and goes in the woods, the whole chase in the original cut was 40 to 45 minutes long. Uh. <laughs> That's too long. (laughs) Yeah. The ending used in the finished film was shot in March 1982, after the original ending was deemed unsatisfactory.
1: Unsatisfactory! Uh, In the
2: book, Troutman was brought in to kill Rambo because he had trained him. Thus, he was the only one who could stop him, which is what happens in the end of the book, where Troutman mercy kills Rambo. Yeah. An alternative ending was indeed filmed, in which Rambo takes a gun and puts it in Troutman's hand while pointing it at himself, saying that he'd rather be dead than face prison. When Troutman hesitates, Rambo pulls his hand so that the gun goes off and kills him. like it. I like it. Yeah. Kasar and Vanya sought either Warner Brothers, 20th Century Fox, or Paramount Pictures as a, as a distributor, displaying an 18-minute promotional reel to the studios. Although they secured international distributors, they were unable to locate a domestic distributor to the film until they sent a longer 55-minute reel to the American film market. After Warner Brothers and Paramount expressed interest, Orion Pictures agreed to domestic distribute the film not even around anymore orion really some of the greatest films yeah i know i know Uh, apparently right after they they did that 55 minute reel the rights sold in like five minutes
1: oh yeah well yeah yeah, you a few minutes you're like what what the hell is this
2: yeah but 55 minutes it's like a solid action you get you get to feel yeah yeah the film score was composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith, do, 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 do. <laughs> whose theme, It's a Long Road, added a new dimension to the character, and was the weirdest ending to the movie. It just was not expecting that at all. It's a
0: long Ugh. road, and we'll find we, oh. I tell you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> firstly i know i know i, I know
0: it just is so weird
2: it's just i was weird. sure that
1: frank stallone sang it but i was wrong no no it's Dawn. somebody
2: uh first blood topped the u.s box office for three weeks in a row and its 6.6 million
1: opening weekend was the best october opening at the time oh my god so when i saw it uh this was around the time that my mom was working at I think it was Colwell Banker and her office was close to the Sixplex right. when as I've said before I used to go with her to work and then I would just go to the movies and theater bounce. I'd buy a ticket and I'd see everything yeah, in there. Yeah. Three, maybe three movies a day. And I remember seeing this movie, seeing First Blood so excited to see it and I'm in the theater all by myself got my uh, <laughs> got my popcorn with my peanut m ms in it, mm-hmm. my, my Dr. Pooper and uh and, man, I was deathly afraid of rats. I was – it was a serious phobia back then yeah, for me yeah. because I had – we had rats in the attic. And oh. right above me, literally right above me, I would hear every night oh, scratching. Oh, oh, and I was positive yeah. they were going to come through the ceiling, drop into my mouth, and eat their way out of my stomach. <laughs> Having it's a very, very specific a very very good imagination as a child that was extremely it's detrimental. Very specific. oh yeah, plus the old man uh found it hilarious that I was deathly afraid of rats and would do several things to exacerbate that and it was horrifying so anyway, I'm watching the movie and the rat scene comes on, and I dove under <laughs> the seat I couldn't watch I was so wow. freaked out because wow. it, it was it was horror not only is it horrifying because he's in this tiny little space yeah which makes it even worse but then it's just rats all over and they're biting him too yeah, yeah. And he's like oh <laughs> and they're throwing him off it was awful
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it was uh yeah but so well done so it was it was really well done doesn't
1: bother me now no i'm oh, not really? afraid of rats anymore okay no.
2: overcame that the film ended as a significant financial success, with a total gross of $51 million domestically, the highest-grossing film of the fall, and the 13th highest-grossing film of the year. Nice. It grossed $125 million worldwide against a $15 million budget. Not bad. It was notably the first major Hollywood blockbuster to be released in China, where it was released in 1985. Don't you mean
1: China? Uh, uh,
2: no. China. Okay. It sold seventy six million tickets in China, the highest for a foreign Hollywood film, up until 2018. Nice. They love
1: their Rambies. I believe it was beat out by one of the Avengers movies no. in twenty eighteen. Well, it seems it would it seems like it would be popular in China because it's kind of anti establishment. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of S's all over kinda the shows the... how stupid America is. <laughs> well the law enforcement, how yeah. prejudiced yeah. it could be. Yeah. Uh yeah, so I get I get why they Yeah, yeah, we'll watch in China. Makes yeah. you guys look like jerks. <laughs> the
2: film received mixed to positive reviews from critics and the three lead actors received praise for their performances. In his review, Roger Ebert wrote that he did not like the film's ending, but added it was
1: a very good movie, well paced and well acted, not only by Stallone, but also by Crenna and Brian Denny. He also commented, although almost all of his is implausible because it's Stallone on the screen will buy it. And well, he ra- I don't agree.
2: He rated the film three out of four stars. I don't think it's implausible. I don't. I don't. I, I agree with you. Then, I. I think that it's something that could happen.
1: And now, look, we're also looking at this in a Rambo retrospect. Yeah. Of the implausibility that you know that it increases as the sequel number. Well, sure, rise. Sure, but still, but it, for this first movie, I. Watching it again, the punji sticks, all the stuff. I honestly, I, mean, I thought there was more. I thought there was like big boulders coming. I thought there was all no, sorts like no. big. I, I think I got. Honestly, I think I got it mixed up with the Ewok scene in <laughs> <laughs> Return of the Jedi. I
2: often confuse Rambo with with Adats walking yeah. around. Yeah,
1: and yeah. when uh, he's like yob,
0: yob. Yop, yop, nope. <laughs> but yop, he,
2: nope. he specifically, he could have killed all of them, but yeah. he specifically doesn't. No. And then even to the point where before that, he was like, yeah, the dude's dead. And he's like, I don't, this has all gotten out of hand. Yeah. And like, I just want to give up. And then they start shooting at him. Yeah, he's and like, look, I didn't do it. Yeah, He's like, I, I'm willing I to come in and like, I don't want to hurt anybody else. You know, I mean, nobody else needs to die, but they, they're too deep in. We got to shoot him. Yeah. Well, it just shows stubbornness kills. Yeah. yeah. The success of First Blood Spawned a media franchise Including four sequels Rambo First Blood Part 2 Was released in 1985 Written by James Cameron And Sylvester Stallone And directed by George P. Cosmatos Blows my mind I know uh, Please listen to our episode About Rambo First Blood Part 2 Yeah
1: please uh, It made
2: over $300 million Off a $25.5 million budget The movie Not our the movie. episode No the episode made nothing <laughs> That's not true It actually did make Rambo 3 was released in 1988 Written by Sheldon Letich And Stallone Directed by Peter. McDonald it made 189 million from a 55 to 63 million dollar budget yeah. as i said earlier the largest budget for a film at the time yeah david morrell the writer of first blood did novel adaptations of 2 and 3 despite the original film ending very differently from the book right he said that he felt like he owed the character of rambo since it jump started his career sure uh, rambo was released in 2008 co-written and directed by stallone yeah It made over $113 million from a $50 million budget. Yeah, because people were nostalgic. (laughs) And then in 2019, Rambo Last Blood was released, co written by Stallone and directed by Adrian Grunberg. It made $91.5 million from a $50 million budget.
0: Yeah, every cowboy had that one.
2: Look uh, the rage. First Blood, technically I think it was First Blood Part Two spawned an animated Saturday morning cartoon called Rambo, The Force of Freedom. Yeah, what the F? Where John Rambo leads a special unit called The Force of Freedom all over the globe with their goal against the paramilitary terrorist organization SAVAGE, which stands for...
0: Specialist Administrators of Vengeance, Anarchy, and Global Extortion led by the nefarious General Warhawk. Coming for you, General Warhawk.
2: (laughs) It ran for one season with 65 episodes. Rambo, The Force of Freedom was the first animated series to be adapted from an R-rated film series.
0: All right, kids. The more you
2: know. Uh, Sylvester Stallone was annoyed and embarrassed that the Rambo character was used as a cartoon character. This is very annoying
0: and embarrassing.
2: (laughs) There was so... God, I went so deep into this. (laughs) There was so much more that at some point we'll cover. Uh, The Rambo franchise also includes six video games between 1985 and 2014, Uh, and in September 2019, Stallone expressed interest in a sixth Rambo film, where the character takes refuge at a Native American reservation.
1: All right, dude.
2: Uh, Stallone later elaborated that the story would explore Rambo's return to the reservation where he had grown up. Yeah, he's gonna go back there and kill everybody. Uh, I I was gonna, my thought was that, and this is why he made Tulsa the TV show because it's in Oklahoma and there's they you know they regulation. don't have any cannolis here. Uh, yeah, because I'm I'm a, a fish out of water. But I I'm gonna go ahead and say since Rambo Last Blood made almost no money and was not did, so I Ram do you know what Rambo Last Blood is about? His niece gets kidnapped by a Mexican cartel. And it's him going down to Mexico and just murdering cartel people.
1: Yeah, I think I saw it on Netflix. It was
2: accused of being very racist towards Mexicans. <laughs> hey,
1: what are you talking about? Uh,
2: they all rapists, Adam. But Drug dealers. at the end of the day, the movie, I think it barely broke back its budget, along with marketing and stuff. Because the movie cost $50 million. It made like ninety-five.
1: But I, I just i don't think there's going to be any more Rambos. There's no... Well, maybe now. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's a contingent of Americans that would really like something like that, especially the border thing. Yeah. But Rambo's kind of an antique. Yeah. He's a yeah. First Blood is a great movie. It is a really cool character study of a Vietnam vet suffering PTSD who's got no got nothing. Yeah. Yeah, pushed to the edge. Seven years, he's nothing been to wandering, lose. Yeah. doesn't you know? Doesn't, he's lost himself. Finally, he's at the nadir of his existence. He just found out his last friend is dead. He's got nothing and no one, and then he's pushed to the limit. Push Do you push it? Why, why you pushing? Why you pushing me so wh- hard? Yeah. Uh, why are you pushing? You gotta push me. you in the pushed. Also, it's a really cool kind of microcosm of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and it deals. It's a really cool, interesting. uh, Study of how Vietnam veterans were treated, yeah, back then, yeah, which yeah. was poorly, yeah, and it's also a crazy action movie and revenge film and all that kind of stuff. But it's just very strange to me that a franchise bloomed from this film, yeah. Which to me, it it should have ended. He should have been killed. I agree. It should have been done, and then it would have been a classic. It's still a classic. Yeah, yeah. It's a great movie. But people, just like you, who never saw it because the goofiness of the sequels, you're like, well, why would I want to watch the beginning of this goof fest? Right. And I get it. And I think it's it's out of all of the movies this month. This one, First Blood, uh, it's the most detrimental to this movie, the fact that it was franchised. Agreed. Agreed. You know, Alien, whether you like the movies or not, they're at least interesting. Yeah. They expand upon the theme. It's, they're all wildly different. Right. And even if you don't like them, there's something interesting in them. And some of the greatest directors cut their teeth yeah, on yeah. these films. And if you look at Terminator, Terminator, Terminator yeah. 2, great. Yes, Terminator start, the dew was off the lily. Yeah. There really hasn't been a good Terminator movie since Terminator 2. No,
2: no, not really.
1: I've, I've enjoyed them. They're not but like, awful, but
2: you, but definitely not the same level as the first two. No,
1: because you, James Cameron. Yeah, I mean that was really his. His it's his baby. in yeah, and and he has a way of telling a story, especially a big story, in an intimate way. Mm-hmm that is unique to blockbuster directors like you know you look at i was just watching some of that snyder rebel moon film, oh yeah 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 and he is an example of a director that's all style no substance right right he, he's writing it i'm out right but cameron he has a way of making these giant films that are also small films yeah oh yeah yeah and, and, intimate, and that's his intimate films yeah, yeah and that's yeah. one of his gifts that's why he's you know, the most popular filmmaker ever made, uh, yeah ever yeah. made ever made he <laughs> created a lab but uh but unfortunately, Rambo just stepped on itself over and over yeah, again, yeah until it be just just became this ridiculous parody, and it became the exact opposite of what the first film was trying to say i
2: having re- reading the novel, I totally get why. This movie, people wanted to make this movie. Yeah. I totally get it. And I am going to take a chapter from the Jim book, and I am going to say, this is how you end the Rambo franchise. Okay. You do another adaptation. Listen up, Hollywood. Do another adaptation of First Blood. Okay. Have it be set now. Okay. Have it be a soldier that come back from Afghanistan. Sure. Which you could then tie in with Rambo 3. Yeah. But have it literally be based on the books. A kid goes in, gets hassled. Ends up killing a bunch of people, and they have to bring in John Rambo to finish him to take him down, and have that be the bookend for the Rambo franchise.
1: Yes, and the fact that the reason why he kills the kid is because he doesn't want the kid to have to go through everything he yes, did. He
2: knew, and maybe the kid even do like in the book. You know, technically Teasel and, and Rambo end up killing each other. Yeah, um, have it in that way. Yeah, like, have them kill each other. Yes. you know, and I mean, Rambo's like Rambo's finally on. It would be such. It, make it super cheap, less than $10 million. Like, have it just be just insane carnography, yes. as they
1: say. And like you get Timothy Chalamet to play the young soldier. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> that
2: would be amazing.
1: I, I think that's great. We were, it's funny, because we were talking about that. You yeah. mentioned that when we were watching it. And it's a great idea. And if they are going to make another movie, that would be, that's the only way. But it would also kind of fit in with his swan song of Rocky, which Rocky – yeah, became the trainer. Yeah, yeah. and Creed and became his the star. Creed in and, and uh, those later like Rocky
2: Balboa and like it's that's when Stallone started getting better again. He like his acting was yes. much more interesting
1: because yeah. it was smaller. It wasn't he wouldn't have to be the lead. He didn't have to carry that weight. Still think I don't know Rocky's a little punchy, but but he yeah yeah he there's yeah I, I think there is one more Rambo movie, and I think it's the one that you say it's he's I, too old and too weird to be rolling around in the dirt he, shooting yeah. guys and using his bow. he needs to put the character to bed, and, and I think it's a perfect way to do it, yeah, and if it's you know if 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 this kid is somehow a soldier that he worked with. I don't yeah, know. Um, yeah. 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 Or he's, he's got personal connections somehow. I mean, that's –
2: but that's all ways you can flesh it out. I mean, in, in the book, Troutman – like, I know in the movie they say that Troutman's like, oh, I trained him and whatever, and, and then he calls him, you know, and he's talking about their – how he led them in. In the book, he has no idea who Troutman is. Really? He's like, yeah, you trained me. That was like ten years ago, fifteen years ago. I don't remember who you are. Well, it makes
1: more. And it, it's more interesting that he does. I, of know. course,
2: of course. But I mean, what I'm saying is that it's that it would be easy enough to, to transpose those characters into the framework of the original book. Agreed. I think that's the way to
0: do it. Yeah. Okay, pretty good. Adam. I just, up
2: a It's just crazy to me that I've never seen this. It's great. It was a great movie. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Really enjoying the book. Like I, I think more people need to see this. And not do what I did, which was not watch it because the later movies are so awful. It's his greatest film. It's also one of the best films of the 80s. It's one of the best depictions of PTSD on screen. It really is. And
1: without even really saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Before even anybody really knew that's what it was. And then they just ignored it. Because, I mean, that was the walk it off generation. (laughs) Yeah. You know, walk it off. You're fine. Yeah. Uh, Literally. Go walk it off to another town. (laughs) You know how many times I heard you cry? you crying. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you something to cry about if you don't stop crying. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'm already got something to cry <laughs> about because I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it.
2: All right, well, definitely check out. It's on. Uh, what was it? Oh, it's on Paramount Plus. Uh, the the first two movies are on Paramount Plus. Highly recommend watching First Blood. It's a great movie.
1: Yes, and the second one, you can listen to our show. T- two thirds of it's really good. <laughs> a great double feature would be yeah. Rambo One and Two, yeah. and then just walk away. Yeah. Walk away. Let that be the
2: end of the series. Walk away from the series. Uh, Unless you really, really like gore, then the
1: 2008 Rambo had some of the most nasty gore I've ever seen in a movie. The the subsequent Rambo movies after two are more like slowing down and watching a car wreck. Yeah. You know, it's not, you're not watching quality film there, but it's, they're definitely worth seeing to watch just how, it's like the Fast and Furious. Yeah. Yeah franchise where that went from an undercover cop trying to bust up a bogus D V D ring. Yeah. You know, to whatever the hell it is now. They're flying in space. It's just stupid. <laughs> and it's again, it's just became one of it's the first of those bloated, stupid yeah. franchises that just ate itself.
2: Yeah. I do find it also really ironic that they specifically chose not to depict the violence from the book in the first movie and by the time you get to 2008 Rambo it is more violent than the book ever could be so much more
1: that that it's it that is carnography yes without oh, a doubt oh my god yes anyway so all right so check it out yeah. such a great movie uh and we'll be back next week with oh baby uh, oh baby terminator ah oh. we'll be back
0: when zoof first blood okay
1: sorry <laughs> Yes, I gotta get used to this first. Okay. Welcome to the Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about First Blood. <laughs> Sorry, for, forgot for a second what we were doing. <laughs> you wanna
2: do it again? Yeah. Alright, it's gonna
1: throw me off. <clears throat> there is a struggle between he and Teasdale. Teasel. There is a struggle between he and Teasel. <laughs> mm. We now return to your regularly scheduled programming, Square Picks, already in progress.